Is there any hope for the church today? Is there a reason to continue on in our service and our labor for the Lord? Tonight, if I'm honest, I believe that these are questions that often come into our lives as believers. Our minds today, they're only too quick to go around at this world we live in, society which we are a part of, and it all seems that sin is abounding on every side. We consider the laws of our very own country here, and we even see how the ungodly world is seeking to deny all biblical truth. And the world tonight takes its defiant stand against God and against the truth of his holy word. And such an outlook for the Christian can easily cause us to become despondent in our lives. We can be downcast as we consider the future of the work of God. Perhaps the apathy and the sin around us that leads us to simply conclude that the days are only going to get worse. Sin's only going to increase. Nothing's going to improve or get better. And such a mentality, I believe, is one that is in the church tonight. Yet it is such a way of thinking that the Lord here rebukes in these words we have read. Because here we read in this passage of a great promise that Christ leaves for his church. Now, of course, this promise comes from none other than the Saviour himself. It is this portion in which we read of the great confession of faith of Peter in verse number 16, where Peter could say that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. We notice in that verse the use of the definite article, thou art the Christ. He's not saying thou art simply Christ, but thou art the Christ. In other words, Lord, thou art the Messiah. Thou art the one who has been prophesied in the Old Testament. Thou alone and you alone art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter recognized the nature, the person of Christ. Whilst other rejected Christ, the Jew believed he was a mere false prophet, a blasphemer, Yet the disciples and Peter himself in his own life could testify that this truly was the Lord. And it was upon this confession that in verse 17 the Lord commands Peter. He calls him blessed for this great confession that he makes of the Savior. And then in verse number 18 we see that this promise is given not only to Peter but to the entire church of Christ. Not only for those days But even today, this is a promise for the church in verse number 18, which says, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. These are words which are well known tonight. These are words which are so often used in the place of prayer. And yet what great words they are tonight that the Lord would have us to consider. The Saviour gives us here in this verse assurance about the future of the church and the work of God. And it will be seen that the Lord is pleased to use us, his people, his servants, in the furtherance of the work of God. And therefore tonight we want to take verse 18, very simply as our text, as we come to consider Christ's great promise for the church. Christ's great promise for the church. First of all tonight, notice in this verse 
that there is the foundation of the church. The foundation. Because as we come to consider this great promise that's given to us by the Lord, we must first of all realize that the Lord tells us the foundations or the bedrock of the church. Of course, whenever it comes to any man-made structure, when it comes to constructing a building perhaps or a home, one of the first elements to establish is the foundation. The architect can draw up many great plans, but construction cannot start until there is a firm and a solid foundation. He needs a basis to build his work upon. And of course, in a spiritual sense, that's true for the church. The church is in need of a foundation. The Lord had already preached on this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7 and chapter 7 in his Sermon on the Mount. He told the people that day about two builders, one who built his house on the sand. And of course we know that account, the rains came, the floods, and that house on the sand, it fell, and great was the fall of it. But the Lord goes on to tell us about the wise man, or the wise builder who built his house upon the rock. A solid foundation, and the rains came, the floods came, yet that house on the rock stood firm. The importance of a solid foundation. And we see here that the Lord speaks again about the rock. He says in verse 18, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now that Greek word for church in verse 18, it very simply in the Greek it means an assembly or a congregation of God's people. So when we speak about the church tonight, we're, we're not talking about the physical building, but we're talking about the spiritual church, the, the body of believers. All of us who are the people and the family of God, we're, we're part of the church of God. And so we ought to ask, what's our foundation tonight as a people? What are we to be founded upon in our faith? Well, look at that phrase, and upon this rock. What we must say, first of all, is that we ought to refute error when it comes to this verse. The Roman Catholic Church will often quote these words and will try to tell us that this rock which is mentioned is Peter himself. The Roman Catholic Church will acknowledge Peter to be the first bishop of Rome. And they will try to tell us that Christ here was saying that he was going to build his church on Peter. However, if we look, take a deep look at this text and study it out, we will find that there is no such teaching in these words. Christ here, he was addressing Peter. Yes, he was addressing Peter when he said, Thou art Peter. But when he mentioned the rock, he was speaking of himself. Christ was making reference back to verse 16 about the confession that Peter made, that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it was upon that foundation the foundation of Christ, the Son of the living God, that Christ was going to build the church. He is the rock and the rock of ages. And so here in this verse, the rock is an image to us about Christ. We've already sang tonight that hymn, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. And so it is for us in our faith, in our lives, Christ ought to be foundational and fundamental 
to everything that we believe as a people of God. And notice this description, that he calls himself a rock. You think about the symbol of a rock. It's it's strong. It's firm. It's something that is unmovable by any force of nature. You think about the rocks in the sea, the waves, the billows. They, They hit against the rock, but the rock remains firm. Yes, the billows hit against it. The attacks come, but that rock stays and stands undaunted midst the raging storms of time. And what a picture that is of the constant onslaught of the enemy attacking the church, trying to crumble the foundation, and yet Christ, he stands firm. He cannot be moved. He is the head and the king of the church. Though the world may try to attack the foundation, yet that rock will stand. Christ will stand the test of time. It was David who could write in Psalm 61, verse 2. He could say, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And it was David's desire that his life would be hidden deep in that rock of ages, a life hidden in Christ. Think also tonight about the words in the book of Acts and turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. It is in Acts 4 that we read about Peter himself. And he's confronted. He's standing before Caiaphas. And the high priest in Jerusalem. And he comes and he comes. He proclaims and teaches about Christ. In Acts chapter 4 verse 10. Peter says. Be it known unto you all. And to all the people of Israel. That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Again, here we're confirmed that Christ, it is Jesus Christ who is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone of the church. In verse 11, we read how he was set at naught by many people. That means they cast him off. They, they rejected Christ. The religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day, they rejected the Lord. Yet it makes it clear that Christ, though he was rejected by many, he was still the cornerstone of the church. And so back in Matthew 16, we have a reminder of our foundation. That the church is built alone on Christ. It's not built on a man. It's not built on a person. But it's built on the Lord himself. And what a reminder I believe that is tonight. That our reliance as a church. As a people of God. It's not on ourselves. It's not on our own strength. We ought to be relying and resting on the Lord. Alone all of our lives individually ought to be on the Saviour. Because he is the rock who upholds us, who supports us by his power. And so here we have the foundation of the church. Secondly, tonight we also have the furtherance of the church. The furtherance of the church. We've established that the church is built on Christ. And we see that that very fact tonight, that Christ is the foundation, it means there's guaranteed success For the church of Christ. 
because it's founded on him, the church cannot fall. The church cannot fail. Instead, it's the very opposite. The church will prosper. The church will go forward and it will be furthered. And we see that in these words because Christ says, Upon this rock I will build my church. Speaking about activity, I will build my church. There's a statement showing us the church is going to be furthered. It's going to advance. In this little phrase, we see there's a promise. There's a promise. We notice here that this is a promise that's given unto the people of God. And we're reminded that because the Lord has spoken it, so the Lord will do it. He is faithful to his word. God cannot lie. He's, he's all truth. And there's not a word that comes from the lips of God that he will not fulfill in his plan and his purpose. We see this promise when Christ says, I will. I will. There's the promise from Christ. We notice that there's no sense of doubt here. He doesn't say, I may build my church. I could build. I might build. No, I will. I will build. Christ tells us that the work's going to go forward. He's going to do it. He promises it to us as people. And of course, the word of God, it's full of promises. The promises of God, so many And yet it's a great thing to read through the promises, but also to claim those promises, to pray out those promises, present them to the Lord, and pray them out that he would act according to that promise. And so we're reminded tonight, this isn't a message from me. This isn't a message from any man. This is a message from Christ himself. I will build my church. You notice it's him. He's building. We're not building, but it's Christ. Who's building? I will build my church. What a comfort tonight that there is a promise for us. The church is going to go forward. There's a promise, but there's progression. Progression. He says, I will build. Build. And here that word build literally means to construct a house. That's what the word means in the Greek. It means to build. A house, And in that idea, we're giving uh, the ex- example of something that expands, something that grows. You build the frame of the house, eventually you add the windows, you add the door, it will advance in its process until that house is one day furnished and people let it go to live in it. And so we have this idea of furtherance, advancing, building up. And we've seen that the foundation has been set. The foundation is Christ, and therefore there's building going on to that foundation now. And there's a constant need for the church to go forward, for the work to be furthered. And this building, of course, includes us. We're the church of God, and so we ought to be active in this as well. The Lord needs our participation. The Lord can use us as his people to help with this advancement of the church. And now what we mean by this progression is not simply a reference to numbers. I believe today we get caught up by how many numbers, how many people are attending congregations. That not not to be the mark. This is not the progression we're speaking about. Not mere numerical value. But we're talking about people who would desire to grow in their faith. To grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You may have been saved many decades longer than me, yet there is a need in all of our lives, no matter who we are, that we would advance, keep going, sanctified more and more, dying more to sin, living more on to Christ. 
And you'll be familiar tonight with the words of Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 is one of the great revivals in the Bible. The day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were added unto the kingdom. And we read how in Acts 2 verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And those words, they speak about how souls were coming in daily, each and every day added to the church. More souls being brought into the family, the church of God. There's progression that is spoken about, a spiritual building up of the church of Christ. And ever since the beginning of the Old Testament, up until now, the church has been building. The church has been advancing and growing. Oh, it started off small, yet it's increased throughout the centuries, throughout the decades, throughout the millenniums. The church has grown. And you know, maybe we read tonight a promise when Christ says, I will build my church. And yet we look around today and we don't see much fruit. We don't see much evidence of that promise in the day in which we live. We don't see many souls being saved. Yet we're not to neglect the fact that the Lord is still working. Whilst it not, may not be seen in abundance, there are still souls being saved. And brought to Christ, not just in this land, but across the world. Our missionaries, seeing a great labor done for the Lord in far off lands, people with a hunger, a desire to get the word of God in their language, to read that word, to come to Christ. And the work of God is going forward. It's increasing, it won't decrease. We're promised it will be built and it will progress here. Promise progression but there's also possession possession Christ says I will build my church my church remember every single word in scripture it's inspired there's a meaning to every word that we read and we look at that little word my my church what can we learn from that well Christ is emphasizing that it's his church it belongs Onto him. It's in his hands. It's in his possession. And that's the point tonight that scripture emphasizes Christ is the groom. The church is the bride. Think about the book of Song of Solomon, a great love story. Yet what a picture it is of Christ and his love for the church, his bride, belonging onto him. And so if we're saved tonight, it means we're not our own. But we too have been bought with a price. We belong unto the Lord. And that's true from the moment of salvation. For we're saved and we're taken out of sin and placed into Christ. And therefore we receive the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. He's our heavenly Father. We're adopted in to the family of God. And so we're his possession tonight. We're in the hands of God. And what a privilege that is to know that each of our lives... That we belong to the Lord. We can say tonight I am his. And he is mine. He is mine. Again that idea of possession. Ought to fill us with confidence. I believe because we realise that the success of the church. is not in our hands. But the success of the church is in the hands of God. Yet that doesn't remove our responsibility. There are those tonight who will hear that message. That. It is up to the Lord to build the church and then they will take 
That stance, well, we don't need to evangelize. We don't need to work. We don't need to go out and reach the lost. If, if Christ has his own people, he will surely save them by his power. And that means we can sit at home. We can sit idly by. And sure, his people are still going to be saved. That's not the case. We are to be active. We're to be up. We're to be involved in this work that the Lord would use us to further his kingdom. It is the service of the Lord that all of us must be involved in. And there's something all of us can do in that work to advance the kingdom of God. Yes, it belongs to the Lord. It's his church. Yet the Lord is pleased to use us as the instruments to bring about that building up of the church. And so let us remember that since we belong unto the Lord, that our lives are accountable to him. In Romans 12, verse 1, you'll know the words, Paul exhorts the believers to present their bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is their reasonable service. It is a reasonable service. It's nothing too great or too much that the Lord asked for us. He gave his life for us. He paid the debt we couldn't pay. And so when we think about what Christ did for us, surely it's only a little thing to give our lives over to him. For we belong unto the Lord, co-laborers together, so that the work of God would advance. There's a furtherance of the church. Always remember that Christ says, I will build my church. There's the foundation and the furtherance. But finally tonight, there's the flourishing. The flourishing of the church. Again, the final words of verse number 18 give us words of success. And here we see in these words that the church is going to flourish. The church of Christ is going to enjoy a, a glorious end. And look at the closing words of verse 18. It says, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is a statement of victory. This is a statement of triumph. The Lord tells us that all of the opposition, all of the enemies of the church, they're not going to prevail, they're not going to overcome the church. But instead, the church is going to enjoy the victory and all of the glory. And that shows us how the church will gain victory. And I believe it's those words, that thought we ought to imprint on our hearts tonight. Because as I said in the introduction, it seems like all of us as a people, we've, we've crept into a spirit of defeatism. We believe the work of God perhaps is doomed to fail. The sin's abounding. There's too much happening against God and surely there's no hope. What's the hope for the, for the future of the work of God? That's not the attitude the Lord has concerning his church and that's not the attitude the Lord would have us to have in our hearts because the Lord tells us there's a prospect for the future of the work. The gates of hell are not going to reveal. Yes, the world may attempt and the world will try to halt, yea, try to hinder the church, but all of those attempts will be in vain. They will not overthrow. The reference there to the gates of hell refer to the devices of Satan, all of the things that Satan would throw at the church. And the Bible reminds us that the attacks of Satan are real. They're fierce. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, we're given a command to be sober and to be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He's a roaring lion. He, he has a great threat 
to the believer, and so we are to be sober and vigilant. And Ephesians 6 as well commands us to put on the whole armour of God. And we are told to expect the fiery darts of the devil, that the devil would try and attack us. Yes, the devil attacks the church as a collective, but the devil also attacks the believer individually in their life. Perhaps the devil comes along, causes us to grow cold in the faith, leave off the reading of the word, and in moments perhaps of difficulty and distress, the Lord would, the devil, sorry, would try to tempt us to lose sight and to lose vision and to lose our faith. And attacks come as individuals, as collectives. And we're told that we will face persecution, we'll face times of tribulation. The Lord has told us that. But we are to remember that though the onslaught it will be continuous, though the attacks they may change in their form, in their shape, which they do, and they all come from the pit and the gate of hell, they're not of God. Those attacks are of the devil. And it's because of that. It's because they are the attacks of Satan. That's the reason, though not prevail. Because what is Satan? And what is the devil when compared to God and to the Lord? Satan tonight is a defeated foe. We read in the word of God that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The devil is described as the prince of the power of the air. And yes, he's in this world. Yes, he's great. But our God is greater. Our God has all the power, almighty, all supreme. Satan is limited, but the Lord God is omnipotent and unlimited in his power. And so that's the confidence to have tonight, a confidence in Christ. The gates of hell will not prevail. That little verb prevail, it means to be greater in strength. It means to overcome. A reminder, yes, of the struggle in this life that we're in a battle every day, that we live against Satan, against sin. The battle is constant, yet we can continue on knowing that we have the victory. The church of Christ will conquer. The church of Christ will be victorious. And we in our lives as Christians have already obtained the victory. Tonight we're not fighting for victory. Tonight it's already secured for us. And of course, where was it secured? It was at the cross. It was at the cross that the Savior, he went and he triumphed over Satan. He triumphed over death. He triumphed over hell. And tonight, because we stand in him, we share that victory. We share in the spoils that Christ has received from the cross. And let us remind ourselves tonight that yes, we're in a day that's evil, Yes, we're in a day of sin, yet there is a day coming when all sin, when all enemies will be put away. The kingdoms, the nations, the powers, authorities, rulers, they stand against Christ today. They shake their fists, as it were, against God. And yet in one moment, God by his power will place them under his feet. And his enemies will become his footstool. The Lord is supreme. The Lord is the one who will overcome. 
and will conquer and his church shall be prosperous. And so tonight, what does that mean for us? Well, it means simply for us in the day we're living now that the Lord requires faithfulness. The Lord requires our obedience to him. The Lord desires that we would live in the light of eternity. We would live in the victory of Christ, all that he has wrought for us. And ultimately, that one day we would go to be with Christ. That is the great victory that we have as the people of God to know we're passing through this world. We're not off the world, but one day we're going to be united with him in glory. And what a church, I believe, Christ is coming for. Christ will not return to a church that is defeated and a church that is overcome, but the Lord is coming for a glorious and a victorious church. And in closing tonight, what a promise then. What a promise that Christ gave to Peter, to the disciples of that day, but that Christ still gives to us tonight, reminding us that he is the foundation. The church is built upon him. It will not be moved. Reminding us that the church is going to be furthered. There's the promise of that. There's progression of that and there's possession. It's Christ's church. And then we're reminded that the church will flourish and will overcome the enemy. That the enemies will not prevail. But Christ, he has the victory. That's Christ's great promise for the church. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. May the Lord be pleased to use these words to your hearts tonight.